0: GP marches forward into 2021, and after a 14-race season last year where Spain's Juan Mia came out as the victor for Suzuki, we're all lining ourselves up for another thrash over a planned 19 Grand Prix. Starting in Qatar at the end of March, a double-header week, and after that, it's into Europe that we'll see 12 races over the regular tracks all the way through to the end of September, and then four races in Asia before the finale in Valencia. It's going to be quite a run. We all hope that fans can return trackside and enjoy the races, but that is very high on the wish list. What's also high on our wish list is seeing Marc Marquez back on a motorbike, the six-times GP champion, back racing or is it because if he's back it's going to be exciting uh but we didn't have him last year and it was equally exciting simon patterson uh let's go to you first what are your first thoughts going into 2021
1: i haven't a clue who's going to win the championship but i think it's awesome uh we look like we're set for another really really close year at motor gp there is all sorts of people looking really fast and testing There is all sorts of motorcycles looking really, really capable in testing. The whole thing's wide open. It's going to be another great
0: year. Valentin Hurunchi, you join us here. What are your thoughts going into MotoGP 21?
2: My first thoughts, my one thought is that it's it's awesome that I've left pre-season testing with the feeling that I can name at least eight riders who I would not be surprised to win the championship. That's how it should be, and that's, that's just amazing. And what about
0: myself, Toby Moody? I'm going to ask myself that same question. Well, it's quite simple so far as I look at it. I think we're actually going to have a new MotoGP world champion, Marquez or not. The million dollar or yen or euro question is... Like you, Valentin, I've got no idea. <laughs> I've got no idea which one it's going to be. But wouldn't it be great to have two new MotoGP champions two years on the bounce? We've just come away from a test in Qatar. Limited number of days that they've had testing. The least amount of days testing that they've ever had in MotoGP in 500 since uh, God was a boy. There's a tech freeze going forward from last year. But coming out of that test, it was Jack Miller, who was quickest. Is he going to be favourite for Qatar and maybe the season? Simon, how do you view that mega lap that the Aussie did?
1: He is definitely going to be the favourite for Qatar because we know what that circuit's like for Ducatis. Anyway, we know what their history is like there. We know that those big long straights, their big, powerful low motorbike that you know is part drag racer. I would be very, very surprised if Jack isn't fighting for the win, especially given that his main rivals at the test seem to be the Yamahas, and we know that the Yamaha doesn't have the ability to win a dogfight. They can win if they make a break on their own, but I don't think Jack's going to let them, so that for me tips the balance towards Miller, but I don't think we've seen enough of everything else that's going on this year to decide whether or not a guitar performance makes you a world champion in 2021. We've never had a year before where all the preseason testing has taken place at one track. We've had all the preseason testing take place at one track that suits one motorbike on the grid. And, you know, just look at KTM for an example. They were sort of 17, 18, 19, 20 at the end of the test, absolutely nowhere. But they won three races last year in their fourth-ever MotoGP season, and no one expects them to finish the championship, 17, 18, 19, 20.
0: It is one of the things that Neil Spaulding touched on last year, that some bikes just work well at some tracks, and if they have to sacrifice a couple of tracks out of the 19 that we're going to have this year, then so be it. Uh, it is that balancing act. Uh, Va- Valentin, we, we saw, and Simon has mentioned it already, the big power that the Ducati has always had. Some say without sounding like a Top Gear sketch here, some say it's got 20 horsepower more and it's all at the top end. And that gave them the difference of five miles an hour, on average, ahead of the Yamahas. Do you think it's a a given that the Dukes are going to beat the Yams?
2: No, I don't think it's a given, but I think it's, it's likely in the sense that, well, especially, particularly at Qatar, I think it's likely because... Ultimately, what I do expect from Qatar, definitely, and what I would put money on if I were a betting man, and if betting companies accepted bets on that sort of thing, is I definitely expect probably Jack Miller, maybe Beko Banyaya, but probably Jack Miller to lead the most laps in the first and in the second race. Ultimately, when it comes to Qatar, how the, the final lap battle for the win comes out, I think it might be a bit of a coin toss, you never really know. And... The most recent example we have is 2019, where was it four bikes that finished within half a second or something like that, even more maybe. So I don't know. It's gonna be like a NASCAR Talladega race, I suspect maybe. And it maybe for the season, it doesn't so much matter who really wins or loses. It just matters who's there to pick up a decent hole of points and then go into tracks that are maybe a little bit more ugh, conventional in a
0: sense. It is a kind of flashback to, to 2020 because it is the only double header that's planned at the moment, with whatever's going to shake out in this year with, with COVID and, and government rules in the various countries that we're going to. So, if you're in a hole that Simon touched on with KTM, then so be it. But if you're going to win, you need to make hay and take those 50 points back to either Bologna or wherever it may go. So, it's it, it's a balancing act. How do you how do you both see banyaya getting on in the in the top team?
1: I see potential. He you know, he wasn't necessarily the first choice to be a factory writer this year. That was De Vizioso before he told Giacchetti where to stick their contract. The plan was never to see two new writers come into the factory team at the same time and to see two new writers subsequently come into Pramac at the same time. Uh, I think that would have been a goal for a year's time or two years time for Bagnaya. Chiquetti, don't get me wrong, definitely want to keep him. But I think maybe he's been promoted through necessity a little bit faster than the plan. And as such, that kind of takes the pressure off him a little bit in the factory team this year. He's got this year to kind of learn his place, to learn the art of developing a bike, to learn how to use all of the extra people that are suddenly around him, which is something that Miller has good experience with because he's had that tester come racer role within Pramac for a few years that Bagnaya never really got the chance to take over from him. So, yeah, gut feeling this won't be his year. He will score the occasional podium. He might sneak the occasional win somewhere like the Red Bull Ring that that where everything works. But I think uh, title contention is maybe a year out.
0: He's another Petrucci, isn't he? Uh,
2: I don't think so. I, I don't think he's... I mean, in a sense, in that for Petrucci, it clicked once in a while, but then it just completely fell apart. But for Petrucci, once it clicked, it clicked for a bit. And once it fell apart, it fell apart for good. Like He, he never really was back to that race-winning form once it started to go wrong for him in the Ducati Factory team, um, except for one wet race, which which was an outlier in terms of overall form. Uh, I remember last year looking at looking at Bagnaia's situation and thinking, is he about to somehow find his way out of MotoGP entirely? Because that first season wasn't wasn't phenomenal. And then, because I am a fickle fickle uh, sports rider, six months later or whatever, when uh, when he so he was great pre-injury. There was clear huge underlying form there, and he returned post-injury, and he was absolutely brilliant, super fast. And Ducati confirmed him as as a works rider, and I was like, "Well, they did the right thing to you know allow De to walk and not really not really be too bothered about it and promote him." And then Bagnia's end of the season was again bad, and now the test has been again been kind of good. So I I don't know. I guess that is a bit Petrucci esque in a sense, but I he is younger. There's a lot of potential, so. Hard to say.
0: We shall see. We shall see. It, it's quite interesting, Valentin, what you just said, you know. Oh, he did really well. And then it all sort of went away. Simon was smirking that I can see on the screen because that sounds just like Petrucci and just like Da Vinci <laughs> all They were all <laughs> best mates and they were all happy families. And then it all went Pete Tong. So let's hope it doesn't recur itself with another Italian in the team of politics uh, of 2020. So, yeah. Uh, The thing that we must remember, and we've touched on it a moment ago, is is Qatar, Ducati, big acceleration, and it just heaves the air out of the way when it's cracking on. We saw the top speed set in the test by uh, Johan Zarco. It got the grunt, and you need a lot of grunt. It's all exponential when you look at the physics of how it works to, to get that extra five miles an hour at 215 miles an hour you know you put your hand out of the car window down the motorway at 70 miles an hour and it's it's quite strong so at that speed it's it's quite something but they've got lots of horsepower just catching up with what I said about the Yamahas losing five miles an hour to the Ducatis at, at at Qatar you know we, we can touch on it now maybe that Vinales said didn't he Simon I'm going to have to blitz it in those first laps to make a break so that the Ducatis aren't on my tail. Valentin, you touched on it a moment ago. There are four bikes that were within a second uh, a couple of years ago at the finish line. So Yamaha are going to have to take quite a bit of risk to shake the dukes so that there's no Talladega slipstreaming.
1: Absolutely. There has to be clear track behind them to make sure that they, they don't get done. You know, the the guy said quite clearly over the weekend, if we go on to the start-finish straight with the Ducati, we're dead. We're done we haven't a chance. Uh, and that is what that extra five miles an hour means. Um, we know that the Ducati has the top speed sorted. It has been a perennial Yamaha problem. Obviously, it was a lot worse last year because they had to dial back all the engines to try and make them last. So we didn't quite get a, a true picture last year. It won't be as bad as last year, despite the engines being frozen, is the what I'm trying to say. But it's still not going to be great. Um I wouldn't like to be in that position. The,
2: the reason why I started smirking there when you mentioned Vinales blitzing it in the early laps is that that never happens with Vinales, who I <laughs> I respect and admire dearly as a as a rider. I think he's got a ton of potential, super talented. But when you think Vinales, you do not think blitzing it in the early laps, even. Maybe it's become more noticeable in the more recent years, but it's just not a thing he does. so he's not he's not ideal for this bike. It's not how he how his races work out. And they've been trying to fix it for like, two years now the problem that uh, he
1: has there as well is that there's two other Yamahas that are actually quite good at it
0: yeah Quattararo he's a blitzer right from the word go isn't he you know he can crack on he can wind himself up um and we mustn't forget also that over one lap the Yamaha early. is actually quite agile at Qatar Lorenzo got his first ever pole position there first time he rode a MotoGP bike James Tosland was on the front row first weekend in action at a Grand Prix on a MotoGP bike. So it does suit itself quite well for qualifying, but they only give points out on the last lap on Sunday afternoon. Uh, it's going to be risky. Uh, it's going to be risky. Just one final thing about the Ducati, if I may. I will never forget... Casey Stoner's first race on a Ducati in 2007. He came out the last corner to finish the first lap and he wasn't leading the race. And before the finish line, he had overtaken and put three or four bike lengths into whoever he overtook. I will never forget that sight. It just steamrolled everything (laughs) in it. And that was part of the skill that the team had to win him 10 Grand Prix that year in the World Championship. So it is a favorite thing for Ducati, but Seventeen other Grand Prix to go. Do we therefore think going to Yamaha that Fabio Quartararo is the golden boy in blue in the works Yamaha team now that he's had a couple of seasons with Patronus Simon? You first.
1: <sighs> That's a loaded question. Um, he will could have be loaded a good both year. ways, mate. <laughs> he will have a good year. But I don't think we're going to see... We're not going to see a massive step up in his game from last year, plain and simple. I don't think... We, we will see him once again be a regular race winner and a regular podium contender. But I don't think the addition of the factory support is going to be what makes Fabio quattararo a title contender rather than a regular race winner. Um, he still has a Yamaha that I don't entirely think is up to the job. Um, of winning a championship anyway. He has a team that, from listening to various people, including Valentina Rossi, has a few things within it that need to be addressed with regards how Japan and Europe talk to each other. And, you know, there needs to be a little bit of Davide Brevio Suzuki magic sprinkled in that team to bring the two sides together and, and get things working. And the problem they face is that even if they have managed to do that this winter, it's going to be next year's bike before... The benefits of that are seen. You know, there is no team that needs a strong test rider more than them. And signing Cal Crutchlow has been a huge thing and will reap benefits for them. But the way I see it, Quattro could do with a year's experience in a factory team, much like Bagnaya, because he's kind of ruled the roost at Petronas. He's been the golden child. He's been able to do whatever he wants. He's not had to worry too much about development. So it's going to take a little bit of adaption to the factory. The bike is going to take another year. I reckon next year is the year that the stars align for Quarteraro within Yamaha not this year.
2: No, I guess I'm actually a little bit more more optimistic for for Fabio in that regard because um it's just, you know, there's a lot of recency bias in our profession understandably so and there's a lot of or a lot of problems that Fabio faced for the first time last year but it's it's also worth remembering that god he was so good in 2019. It's just incredible, absolutely out of nowhere. Unexpectedly brilliant and brilliant week in week out. He didn't really have that uh, Maverick peaking this and then good weekends, bad weekends. That came in in 2020 a bit. His 2020 was a lot like Maverick Vinales' 2017 at Yamaha. First two races won, another one done the line. Rest of it not good. But I I think might be he might be a different character and this might be a different Yamaha to where I do kind of believe maybe. Maybe not with a lot of logical reasoning, because I've just outlined why it's a lot like Vinales. But I just I do believe that Fabio's situation might be a little bit different here. So, honestly, if you were to ask me for a a title favourite, uh, assuming Marquez doesn't return to Marquez 2019 form at the second race, because if he does, it's him. But if he doesn't, uh, Fabio is probably mine. Yeah.
0: I think that because he's in the work team, works team, because he's got that kind of halo of the golden child. Not that he wasn't at Patronus, but he was the golden child within the team, where here he is, the golden child of the manufacturer. I don't know Quattraro as well as you, Simon, but I just sense that he will ride that crest of a wave and he likes his shoelaces being done up for him. Not in a Lorenzo or a Biaggi way, let's get that very clear, but I just think that he will... I'm I'm supposed to be here. This is, this is what I was designed for. And now I can win races. Now I can really win some more. And if he can string five together, then, uh, you know, he's got, he's got a shout of the championship, the championship favorite, not necessarily in my book, but I think he was born to, some people were born to be in, in, on big bikes. And some people were born to be in works teams and uh, as the de facto leader. Um, there will be some mistakes, of course. He's still only early 20s, and you get to your prime, you know, 26, 27, ideally in Modern GP, arguably. But I think he'll I think, I think he'll shine.
1: I, I completely agree with what you're saying. He is that guy that that will respond well to that, but I think he's just gonna have to learn to dial out the frustrations that we've seen from him in the past. We saw last year a lot. When things weren't going his way he would have a little bit of a temper tantrum on the bike it only ever normally happens on the bike on the slowing down lap he comes into the garage he kicks a few things around and then he's fine again but i think he's going to have to realize very quickly you can't do that in a factory team but also at the same time there's more things to be frustrated about <laughs> yeah. because there's this layer of engineers and development and that, that, that slow things down he's used to being in a team where things are quite snappy things happen quite quickly And I just, yeah, I think that's going to take a little bit of adaption for him.
0: He, of course, has taken the space of, well, the man of Mudder GP, Valentino Rossi. Rossi's gone to Quattroiro's seat at Patronus Yamaha. Uh, How are the vibes down there at VR46?
1: Chilled. Uh, Like we thought, he sounds like a pretty happy man. He sounds like someone that's enjoying the team atmosphere. And... Most impressively, he's fast again. He said his quickest ever time around Sepang or around LaSalle. He admitted that he's feeling the best he's felt since the middle of last season because let's not forget the end of last season was absolutely atrocious for him. Um, so he he sounds like he's in a good place, and we all know you know it's an oft used cliche. He's a Sunday man. So to hear a fast, confident Valentino Rossi in test and it's normally a pretty good sign. It
2: oh, should, should be with the caveat though, of course, that Rossi's best Qatar time is still only good enough to be the fourth fastest Yamaha among the Yamahas in preseason. So uh, honestly, from from what I've heard of the Patronas, from the Patronas team in pre- se- uh, no, before the preseason, season they, they still have Morbidelli as their lead rider. And I I, I don't expect that to change in the, in the first few weekends. But maybe... It's it's entirely possible. Rossi's made peace with that and just wants to grab some headline results when when that when he can. And certainly, he's had a good enough preseason to make that possible.
1: My gut feeling from listening to him this winter versus previous winters is that he's kind of he sounds fired up enough to be able to go from being uh, an on again, off again podium contender to being an on again, off again race winner contender again. Like, it won't happen every weekend, but you know what? It's Silverstone, the sun's shining, there's a big group battle. Oh, Valentino's leading the race. It can happen now. And that's kind of, that little bit of extra has been missing the last few years.
0: He's done more miles around Qatar than the plane journey there and back to Tavulia. So he knows not to hang it out and go to hospital on a dusty weekday last week. Even if he doesn't realise it, there will be a tenth of a second I believe. I don't know, but I believe. Because when you get a bit older, like me, <laughs> it sort of creeps in a bit. And the the of this world, they haven't got there yet because they as you said a moment ago Simon quite rightly, they're going to have the odd bad day, have a bit of a temper tantrum, use their crash helmet as a bowling ball at the back of the garage and Valentino won't do that, but but then he'll know when the sniper bullet needs to go in to lead that race at Silverstone. So, yeah, it it swings and roundabouts, and they uh, you only need to lead on one lap, and he will be very very aware of that. So uh, yeah, interesting times at Yamaha. Um, we touched on the the tech freeze and how they've got work to do. Well. That's just the same for everybody, really, with Yamaha. So uh, they won the most Grand Prix last year as a manufacturer. So they are there to be shot at, as it were, with sheer race victories. Honda, we did touch on the fact that Marquez... I'm sorry, I'm going to say this. I'll believe it when his bike when he is on the bike. When those leathers are on, they're zipped up, the little green light is flashing, that the airbag is armed, and he is on the bike. We had literally a couple of minutes ago before this podcast began a a message that he's been on a bike today and he's thrashing around somewhere at at an RC213V road bike, motorbike with the the number plate on. Um, I hope he comes back. But nobody knows, not even him, nobody knows to what level he's going to be at. He hasn't ridden a bike since July last year when he put it into the gravel at Jareth, and that's a long, long time away. And very few people in international sports of any type have had such a break and come back with a bang. Very few indeed. Uh, Nicky Lauda did it, but Michael Schumacher couldn't. Other other names that spring to mind please throw anybody else into the mix um so it'll be interesting to see long live the king the king is dead oh is the king still there who knows but we could do of course have a new king in the shape of shuan and round the circle goes
2: well i i do think his is his most recent memory is, is not, not the growl because he did show up for the second weekend and then realized his arm hurt and he couldn't do it the the failed comeback obviously so which might even be worse in a sense because maybe there'll be that niggling feeling that oh is it gonna come back am i gonna feel it again suddenly on some lap like i did uh, in the andalusian grand prix was it saturday i think that he felt it um at the same time you know what seeing him already on a road bike oh, it's getting closer he'll 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 be there soon it won't be it does not look like he'll miss half a season i'm no medical expert but uh moto gp guys are a little bit famous for making a bit of a mockery out of uh, recovery timelines, sometimes for better or for worse. In Marcus's case last year, it was for worse. But, you know, there's other examples. There was the one time Rossi injured his chest in 2017 before the the weekend in, I think it was Mugello, returned immediately. Uh, everybody was really confused how that's possible. Um, and the Mick Doohan,
0: 92, nearly lost his leg. And was riding again before the end of the season. I mean, it's just unimaginable nowadays.
2: Yeah, so um, the way I see it is uh, he's coming back soon. And honestly, if I was some of the other MotoGP riders, we don't know what he's going to be like on the bike. But you have to at least accept the possibility that he returns and he's instantly 2019 mark. And in that case, you have to score the points now right now every chance you get because he will not give you more chances and that that might make might make qatar one even more interesting and qatar two if he's not back for qatar
1: i spoke a few months ago to kevin schwantz about exactly this and he maintained that it takes two months to get back to speed for every month you're off the bike now if that's the case we're not going to see 2019 mark marquez in in 2021 but in That is also the opinion of someone who raced 25 years ago. And we know that things are different and things have changed. Um, There will be, I I think, even with Mark's talent, there will be an adjustment period. There will be a time that it takes to get the brain back to 200 miles an hour. And and I'm sure that's why he's out riding a road-going RCV today, because all he needs to do, today is to ride it up and down the main straight at 200 miles an hour and get used to feeling what 200 miles an hour is like again, so that the first time he does that is on a MotoGP bike. Um, Yeah, it, it's so difficult to tell, isn't it? And it's made even more difficult by the fact that we've never really seen a MotoGP world champion in recent times go through this process with such a long absence, and we've never seen Mark Marquez go through this process because He's never really had an injury like this in his time in MotoGP.
2: I think I think Frankie, the uh, Franco Mardelli said in his debrief when asked about it. I think he's mentioned that we've never seen a sportsman this high in the echelon of their sport go through something like this. I think I agree with him. I can't like I can't imagine a Cristiano Ronaldo or Lionel Messi type just sitting out a season. Just ugh, Eden Hazard now, but he's not at that level as much as I love him.
0: Yes, I mean you know. I mentioned Nicky Lauda, you know, he burnt his face at that Nordschleife crash and then he came back at Monza and uh, we all know the story and we mustn't forget that in 2010 Valentino crashed at Mugello, broke his leg, bone was sticking out and yet he won a Grand Prix before the end of the year. He was back at Saxon Ring, so he crashed at Mugello early June, back at Saxon Ring late July and he won Sepang in October. Um, Wow, Uh, (laughs) that is the most recent kind of comeback, but completely different kind of injury. It was only, I say in inverted commas, a broken leg and it didn't have the complications that Mark is going through with the nerves and, and such like, which are certainly not funny. So Paulus Bargaro has made the move to the other side of the garage with number 44. Not that you can see the number because it's the same color as Repsol Orange. When will somebody change that number, please for the TV commentators? Um, uh, so Paulus Bargaro is there. Um, can he hold the forts with Marquez's absence? Uh, I've worked alongside him in a garage. Boy, oh boy, he's a determined young man. He's still yet to win a MotoGP race. And he will want to go home to Spain when he's an old man with a trophy on the sideboard that says MotoGP on it. He's going to try, 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 just as he did uh, in orange. He's got to make it happen. I think he's got to make it happen for his own sanity.
2: I'm I'm fair, I'm fairly I shouldn't say fairly convinced because you can never be fairly convinced about a MotoGP win, but it looks really likely that he'll at least win a race this this year. And I I remember before the preseason started, his crew chief Ramon Oren, uh there was a Repsol Honda video posted to Twitter where they were talking about you know just 2021 stuff, and one of the one of the answers was. Uh, Ramon O'Rin was asked a pretty regular question about expectations for the season. And it's the kind of question that you normally answer when your team personnel. Oh, we need to see how he gets on the bike. We need to expedite his learning, etc. blah, blah, blah. And immediately Ramon Orin was like, Well, this is Repsol Honda, so he'll he'll have to fight for the title. We expect to be fighting for the title. And I was like, Wow, that's that's you know, that's a lot. But then Paul Espargaro gets on the bike at Losail, and he looks good and he looks like really good right away and he looks better with every day. He looks like the bike is, he's one with the bike which it's really hard to be one with that Honda. Only only Mark is one with that Honda. So honestly, it could happen. We could see, a, Paul Sparger is one of my eight people that I would not be surprised to see win a championship this year. I, I definitely expect him to win a race at some of the, the Honda friendlier tracks I think. He's had a great start to his life at Honda.
1: I Well, one thing we can say for certain is that someone at Honda has probably kept their job over the signing of Paul because from a team that were nowhere last year without Mark Marquez, they suddenly look like they've got a bit of depth of field again, which is uh, much needed. You know, first year without a win since 1981 last year, they needed depth of field between losing both Mark and Cal Crutchlow in one go. So that is good because, yeah, he, the guy looks like a race winner he looks like he can be right in the mix again he looks like he can fight for it which isn't really that much of a surprise when you think about it he is super aggressive there is no one in motor gp looks more like mark marquez on a bike low off the bike elbows out just super super focused on what he's doing on the bike that has translated really really well to the honda and i'm fairly sure that's why he jumped so quickly whenever he got offered the chance you know because the KTM was his baby. He's built that project. And I don't think he would have had the same he wouldn't have made the move as quickly to a Suzuki or a Yamaha or a Ducati, even in a factory bike, because that Honda package.
2: And it's yeah, it's it also it has to be a, a huge relief to whoever Honda made that decision. Because the decision that was made is we take, you know. We take our golden boy Mark and we take his brother Alex and we demote his brother Alex before he's even done a race, risking angering Mark. But now now they can if Mark has any issue with it, they can tell him, Look at the look at the timesheets, we had to do it. Paul was available and he he can ride this bike.
0: HRC don't care about brotherly love and what people think. They want to win no. the bloody race. And um, if Paul is offered the opportunity as a young lad growing up in Spain, not far from the circuit to Catalunya, who had his walls plastered with posters of Mick and Alex in the late 90s, You know, that video when he got presented his bike at home in Andorra because they fudged it that he went out for a run and by the time they got home, they'd put this bike on the patio outside his flat. I mean, it was a great story. It was a great PR video, I have to say. Give him kudos. And there he was going, you know, I've dreamt about this all my life. And they all dream about it all their lives. But that there was something about his words and his attitude and his reaction that day that it really was. It was like winning a Grand Prix for him. And... Don't underestimate what it must be like growing up in Spain, watching Repsol Hondas win races, you know, quite something. And then you're on one and people are doing your shoelaces up for you and stirring your coffee for you. Uh, what, a, what a feeling, but, They want results, and you are both right. They somebody has saved their skin by uh, by making that decision quite early on before the first race last year. Uh, We we touched on Alex Marquez. He's now at uh, LCR. He's taken the place of Cal Crutchlow again on a Honda. He had a load of crashes in uh, in Qatar. Fractured his toe and then was prevented from riding uh, the rest of the time by the medical staff. Uh, I'll say this, maybe some of those medical staff should have stopped his brother from riding five days after major arm surgery at Jerez last year, but I'll leave that for the uh, stewards to chew over. Um, Marquez has got to be there to, Alex this is, to to win a race and get up there. He had a great second half of last year, didn't he, Simon, once the bike was rejuvenated with a new chassis with with updates after Mizano sort of halfway through the season if I can call it that after the work from Stefan Bradle and it'd be great if he wins a race if only to see Lucio
1: Cecinello in floods and tears again <laughs> it's always something weird joy floods of tears <laughs> then bottles of wine um <laughs> the problem is Alex Marquez has started his 2021 season the way everyone expected him to start his 2020 season by crashing his brains out getting injured and not really achieving very much it has been just a complete disaster for him for whatever reason he just hasn't been able to click again with the bike he launched it five times in four days uh the first one of them he came back to the garage and told the boys in the garage not to bother going looking for it there was nothing left he has had such a tough time and it's going to be really, really difficult to get out of that hole now. Uh, I
2: I slightly disagree in a sense. Well, I'm not going to go 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 out there and say that five crashes in four days is good. It's not good. It's it's terrible. It's the most terrible thing you can have in testing. And also, you got injured, so just bad all around. But I did I did look at, it at the timesheets a lot and just spent a lot of that test looking at life timing. And what I've noticed is that uh, Alex. Alex was there with Taka more often than not, sometimes even a bit quicker. And on long runs, they look pretty comparable. And that, that might not sound like much, but last season, that was emphatically not the case. Last season, Taka Nakagami was the fastest Honda, uh, more often than not, usually. If if that's the step Alex has taken, obviously, it won't matter if he crashes in every race, but he won't. It's, it's probably a little bit easier to stop a rider crashing than to make him go fast on a bike. At least I'd like to think so.
0: We do have to put ourselves in check here because if it's all right for his brother to crash his brains out and the bike come back in a basket and the rider who's, who is been replaced, replacing at LCR, uh, our, our learned friend, Miss Crutchlow, we ought not to be too hard on him. And if you're going to crash, crash in a test. And then you know where the limit is. That's what Mark always did, crash in a test. So uh, let's see how that one shakes out. Reigning champion Suzuki, What's behind their low-key start, do you think, Valentin?
2: Yeah, so I did a, I did a feature about this on the race, because obviously we were lucky enough to speak to, to both Suzuki riders, even when the final day of tests of the testing was all lost in sand. But And what appears is that Jack sort of Jack Miller sort of reflected a, a thought in the paddock that suzuki haven't shown their hand yet and i don't agree and i think neither do the suzuki riders i think they did show some of their hands and it's just that their hands when it comes to peak lap times and one lap pace is not very good but it wasn't very good last year and it did not matter then and there's every chance it won't matter now so what's behind their low-key start i think it's extreme extreme confidence in the base package that they have because they they even, like imagine you have four days of testing, and on the second day of testing for 2021, you try a 2022 engine. Now, what does that? What does that tell me? That tells me that you're very confident in your bike, and you're confident it'll go fine. Um, and I think nothing much has changed. Yeah, they missed out on some race-specific work, but Qatar is not really the happiest hunting ground for Suzuki. Anyway, it's not. It's not a, a circuit that's made for the GSXRR. So. Uh, they go there, they pick up as many points as they can. It should be good points, maybe in the hunt for a podium, but they don't have to win there for their title defence to get off to a good start. I think they just have to be in the mix and then go to the other tracks and start really showing up there. I don't think their title defence is any sort of trouble. They are fine.
0: Remember between 28 races, they only won two of them last year. They don't need to win too many races. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. that consistency... Cheesy line. I know it's a cheesy line, but the points add up the same, don't they, Simon? Absolutely.
1: And it's funny, I I can't help but look back to last year before the opening race in Qatar was cancelled after we'd finished testing. Uh, I spoke quite a bit with one mayor's crew chief, Frankie Carcetti, who, despite the Italian name, is a British guy that's been around BSB for years and years and years. And he had the biggest smile on his face after testing last year. Because they, they had much the same sort of testing, where they didn't set the world on fire. They had a few fast laps here and there. They were near the front, but no one was looking at them like race contenders. Frankie had, was adamant we are going to win the first race. And then we never got the chance to see it. So he hasn't said it this year, but obviously things have changed now. There's a little bit more pressure that they're reigning champions, but that just makes me think we're in the same boat as we were last year. They are strong and they are happy.
2: Uh, Neither Joanne Joanne Mir nor Alex Rins did like a proper super long run in the second test. But in the first test, I tallied the long runs that I did find and Joanne's was incredible. It was fantastic. He barely dipped over 25-0 and for that test, that was really good. He looked better than maverick he looked better than it's just really good so honestly it is i would not be shocked but i still think it's probably ducati or yamaha but
1: and the benefit the suzuki has over the yamaha is that if it comes down to our last lap scrap you can't bet against them they have got that extra bit of kick that the yamaha doesn't that that could just you know see you pull a a Davizioso on a marquez in the last corner and win the thing
0: and uh, to back up your words, Valentin, about 55s around uh, around Losail in Qatar is, what were the race pace? It was about 15 seconds down on a normal race because there's no motor two, motor three putting any rubber down. So everything will move forward once we get to... The race at the end of the first of the two races at the end of March, and then the second race at the first weekend of April. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they get on with Davide Brevio. We've touched on the fact in previous podcasts here with the race that uh, Brevio has been hired as the team manager of the new Alpine Renault Formula One team, what was known as the Renault Formula One team. They've got Alonso in there. Uh, back again this year with whom he won the championship twice in the zero. So he's got, a, he's got a lot on his plate, if only to get used to the English weather near Endstone. So that'll be interesting for, for Suzuki and MotoGP. GP. Uh, who should we do next, guys? Shall we do KTM next? They won three Grand Prix last year. Their debut three victories in the top class of MotoGP. GP. They'd won in 125, 250... Uh, Moto2 as a branded uh, branded exercise, and then finally at least got to base camp of Everest. Uh, the championship is next for them, but it didn't go well in Qatar in any shape or form. You touched on it earlier in the podcast. Uh, testing at one circuit, as we've mentioned, in 2021, and one of their favorite testing circuits, Brno in the Czech Republic, is now no longer in the championship, so they did win that Grand Prix last year with Brad Binder, their their debut victory. So they've lost a few home comforts,
1: have they? Yeah, I think that's what we're looking at right now. We're looking at a KTM that's not, I don't want to say they're on the back foot, but they're just not necessarily in the position that they were expecting to be in right now, maybe. Um, they obviously have missed not being able to test at more circuits than just LaSale. They obviously, there will be a price to pay for losing concession status because that means that they can't do as much testing with the race riders as they want to or as they were previously able to. But yeah, I just, I think what we've seen with KTM over the, over the entire four years coming into year five in MotoGP is that every year they're a little bit better kind of across the board. Everything gets a little bit better. There's never a huge step forward anywhere. But what that has meant is that the circuits that they were always good at, like the Red Bull Ring, they've got better at. And the circuits that they were always weak at, they've also got better at. But Qatar is just one of the weakest circuits. And, and that's what we're seeing. I expect that whenever we go to Europe, they will be better at their weaker circuits. But we're just, the, the entire picture is kind of skewed at the minute because of what we're seeing only at this track.
2: I've got, I think, two points there. The uh, first one is that. The the last few days I've thought about this a fair bit. Is that this KTM reminds me a bit of Ducati from the from a few years ago. Ducati that had really bad tracks, whereas other manufacturers didn't have really bad tracks, but Ducati did. Now Ducati doesn't, but I think KTM might. Maybe not to the same extent.
0: We haven't been back to Phillip Island yet for okay, Ducati. Fair enough. Very uh, true. Hold that thought.
2: <laughs> yeah, but um, and the the other one is. What KTM is getting better year on year, and it's obviously a super super talented team, and it's got a good four rider roster. But it is also important to flag up, I think, and I hope the the two guys in the works team who ride there. Forgive me if they hear this. Um, they did give give up their high scorer from last year, and the guy who's led the program from from basically the start or almost the start. I still think, that, yeah, he didn't win any of their three races, but I think Paul Spargrave was the guy who could get the most out of that bike as it was then, and they don't have him there anymore. Uh, Miguel Oliveira, I think, now has to be that guy, or maybe Brad. But I think Miguel's a bit further along that path. But uh, Paul, I think Paul generally, on average, proved he could do it, even if he didn't, uh, even if he didn't uh, get any of the wins. At least on the tracks where KTM was not so good, Paul was the best. It was almost always the best. So. That that part might also hurt them a bit. And I think that might that might mean that just holding station this year compared to the previous year is is what they should be aiming for.
0: Paul was very committed in 2020, but ultimately he did say that he wanted to have another girlfriend and have a divorce before the first race of last year. And that's always a niggling feeling of what do we tell you? especially as though he was going to KTM's bigger than Mega arch rival Honda big red so there was always that kind of yeah well, you know from from the from Paul's point of view yeah yeah well, I'm committed and I'm great you can say all that in the press releases but deep down you've fallen out of love with that bike that's why you've signed with somebody else so these two guys that we've got in the garage with KTM are with with Oliveira and Binder are they they're on the
2: bus and they're going at full speed in the same direction
0: as everybody else. In,
2: in my experience I I definitely I definitely agree with uh with with that that you know it's it's not KTM's fault that Paul left because you know Paul made his decision that's the decision he made but I I also don't I don't think there was any lack of Paul's commitment like this is a guy who wears his heart in his sleeve sometimes to his detriment uh, especially last year at certain points um and Honestly, there was no bigger cheerleader for that KTM project than Paul Sparger for these four years. He, he, mm. I think he still loves that bike mm. and still loves that team. I think that's just the kind of guy he yeah. is. And I think they will miss him. But Celabi, sometimes you know, especially in sports, it, it shouldn't be—it shouldn't be sad that somebody's left for another team. That's what we live here for. We love those team changes and team moves. And the two new guys are great. So.
0: They are. They are. I've got a lot of time for them. Um, and uh, some of my. Friends have said you ought to see that Tech 3 bike in real life. It's something else. Uh, so, we, uh, Simon, you're going to see it before us two in uh, in Qatar out the window. And it's uh, it's going to be quite something. The uh, the day-glow orange of Tech 3. Uh, Danilo Petrucci, he's had a few weights taken off his shoulder after leaving Ducati. And he's in a relaxed environment, a sort of Red Bull, if I could call it, in inverted commas, you know what I mean. Yeah, f- south of France, Hervé tech garage. I think it suits Petrucci hand in glove like not many other riders in any other garage in the pit lane.
1: I can't imagine a better com- uh, combination than, than Ponsoral and Petrucci. That is going to be MotoGP's new comedy double act. Um, it's just the perfect fit. It's just, it suits Danilo's laid-back approach to life. It suits Hervé's sort of no pressure on the rider until all the pressures on the rider approach. Uh, it, yeah, it's a match made in heaven, that. And it'll get the best out of both of them because Petrucci is a hard worker. You know, there is no question in that. The guy loves putting in the hours, putting in the effort. Hervey will love him for that. And he's got, you know, he's got the chance. Yeah, He's not going to win the championship at Tech 3, but can he win the odd race? Yeah, he can. Yeah and that's that's really what they need and want. It's good for KTM because he is okay, he's not experienced with the KTM but he is experienced. He knows how to develop a bike. He's been doing it for years and years and years at Pramac and at Ducati. So, yeah, that is a that is the solid example of the sort of rider and the sort of factory team that goes well together and will achieve beyond their sort of their, their individual total when added together.
0: And he is coming from Ducati, as you say, V4 to V4. So it's not as if he's changing something unconscious when he's on the bike. It's still very similar. Uh, yeah, that'll be that'll be fun. Uh, he doesn't tweet much, but what he does tweet, I find quite amusing. During lockdown in April last year, 2020, you know, is I'm streaming the backyard. Everyone else has got somebody to do that for them, but not him. He's absolutely down to earth, isn't he? um and and i don't think it was long after the season was it before christmas or was it after christmas i can't remember what and he's out doing an italian kind of baja rally raid on a ktm he quite likes that and um this has only just come into mind it certainly wasn't in the script so forgive me for saying it but a lot of my dakar tweets he liked so there is life for you yet, Danilo. When you finish going around in circles every 100 seconds, you can do a 4,500 mile Dakar for those bikes that are made in Austria. I'm sure there's something there for
2: you. You know, I think he did mention it, he- right? I think he's, talking, he's talked about Dakar in one of the, one of the Qatar sessions. I think he's, yeah, yeah. You know, he's amenable to the idea at some point in the future, I believe. So that'd be great.
1: He he never likes any of my tweets about his successes or his development, but he just you know he'll like a tweet about my van, or he liked a load of tweets last week about the Crottslo Lorenzo Miller feud just out of nowhere, just Danilo Petrucci likes Danilo Petrucci likes. He's a boy.
0: He's a boy. Um, <clears throat> Lovely guy. It's going to be. A sad few races for Aprilia to get going in, in 2021 after the loss of their team manager, Fausto Grassini a couple of weeks ago. But they will dig deep. They will, they will be at the first race. They are going to compete across all the classes this year for Team Grassini And Aprilia, they had a good start to that test in Qatar with uh, Alessius um, uh, another committed rider who more than his brother wears his heart on his sleeve, whether or not he's out there on the bike or he's tweeting the world. He says it how it is of that. There is no doubt. We saw a glimmer of hope Simon this time last year with Aprilia. Then they had a couple of problems pre-season after that Jerez test. Are they ahead of where they were?
1: Do you think? Do we hope? Uh, I've kind of got to the point where I'm very, very reticent to ever be excited about potential in Aprilia. Don't say seen that, please. So don't much potential, <laughs> and then it just—it always seems to go wrong. And I, I just, yeah, it's I, I, it's super hard to figure out the reality anymore. Yeah, they, they had an amazing test. Alicia Spagaro was so, so fast. Like he was doing things that you shouldn't be able to do in Aprilia. The problem is that sometimes Alicia Espigaro can do things on a bike that he shouldn't be able to do. He did it in a forward race in Yamaha, he's done it in a CRT bike, he did it in a Suzuki in year one. And that just makes me a little bit worried that maybe Alicia's overriding the bike and he's making everything look amazing, and the potential isn't actually there. And it's going to take a little bit of time for us to figure out the actual reality. I don't even think it's going to happen at Qatar because let's not forget, La is one of their good tracks. Um, I think his joint best ever result was a P5 or P6 there a few years ago in the Aprilia. So, yeah, it's going to take time to figure it out. The good thing is that they have time this year that they didn't have last year. They turned up last year with a new bike. They admitted that it would take six months to get it up to speed as they learned how to run engine management strategies and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then suddenly we were doing three races in four weeks for the rest of the year, and there was no time to even sleep, let alone start analysing data in between races, and the whole thing didn't happen. So that will suit them. That's something they need. But again, I just, yeah, loathe to say that all the problems are fixed because they have been the bike that cried wolf too many times before.
0: And you've sort of reminded me there, Simon, that there are times in the past he said, guys, that's it. It won't go any quicker. That's it. But you can't do that for 19 Grand Prix, can you, Valentin?
2: Yeah, you can't. But I actually maybe I'm not as jaded with this whole Aprilia thing as Simon is. I think that's entirely possible. But just looking at look <laughs> Entirely yeah, looking possible. Looking at those, looking at those times from. More test one than test two, but honestly, both tests, that's a better bike than last year's. It's it's got a higher ceiling. I don't know what its floor is, but it's definitely got a higher ceiling. So the season's definitely gonna be better. Because we never saw really anything from the 2020 RSGP last season, except for preseason testing. But even its preseason testing was a lot worse than this preseason testing. So even if it's a false dawn and it's it's impossible to say also because the second rider lorenzo savadori has spent the whole test being injured so we don't really know what what the savadori baseline of the bike is but even if it's a full stone it's still going to be a better season just because that it's shifted everything has shifted a bit so that's yeah so i'm i'm genuinely you know cautiously optimistic let's say maybe not too cautiously even
0: i'm not jaded i'm much more romantic about aprilia uh uh, my very first Grand Prix, they won the 125 race with Stefano Perugini, they won the 250 race with Max Biaggi, and they were on the podium with Doriano Romboni in the big race with a 410cc V twin. I mean, it was just brilliant. Um, they are the kind of Minardi of, <laughs> of MotoGP in a funny sort of way. And there was something about Biaggi, there was something about Ivano Beggio, who was the leader, a kind of. Enzo Ferrari-esque figure that would swan into the paddock and swathes of people would open up like the passing of the Red Sea at Mugello. Uh, Beggio is here. Beggio is here. But um, they struggle with the loaves and the fishes that they have. So as I say, I'm a bit more romantic about them, I suppose. And it would be great to see them back.
1: It's funny that you mention a brilliant management because I think that's part of the reason why I'm so jaded with the whole thing. It... it... They just can't seem to get a grasp on running a race team very well, um, managing riders very well. You know, I, I there are rumors circulating at the minute that there might be more changes to come within the rider lineup during the coming season. You know, that's just none of this is confidence-inspiring to building a race team. And and that, even more than the bike, is, is I think, why I'm a bit sceptical. You can have a good bike and it can be a good bike most weekends, but if, you, if everything else behind the bike is just a complete mess again, then it's not going to come to anything, is it? Mm-hmm. There's more to racing than just a good motorbike.
0: Yeah, and mechanics and team management, they are not, I, I call it using 100% of their brain power on making the motorcycle go fast because there's politics this general BS in the back of the garage or the Haar car back to the hotel, and you don't need it, you need to concentrate on one thing and one thing only. Uh, I'm also romantic because I've got a 1998 Valentino Rossi 250 po- uh, poster still in my workshop. It's a bit faded and a bit doggy, but it's been there since 1999. So, uh, no, it's 98 okay. actually. When I moved, yeah, yeah, so it's okay. It's Valentino Rossi is a
1: little bit faded at this point as well, so. <laughs>
0: simon patterson ladies and gentlemen um, <laughs> send your hate mail <laughs> <laughs> so march the 28th is the opening motor gp race in Qatar. the dash race.com will be across the build-up and the weekend itself with simon trackside and we will have a podcast out the day after every race in 2021 but there's one thing before i go if i may gentlemen I was brought up listening to Murray Walker. I remember watching delayed highlights of Formula One with that Fleetwood Mac music. But my first intro to bike racing was through the television and his voice. I just about remember that Sheen-Roberts battle on the television. But I then certainly do remember this crazy American who'd waved the stars and stripes at Donington Park, standing on the pegs, and it was Murray Walker's voice again on the TV, that lucky strike Suzuki with Kevin Schwantz. I was lucky enough to have them as friends later in life, the pair of them working alongside them in a commentary box and in the Motor GP paddock. And for me, it was very surreal being in a commentary box at Silverstone commentating on a historic Formula One race with Murray Walker back in 2008. It was as if I was at home watching the old races, but here I was stood alongside him in the very same country box overlooking Woodcut. He saw so much in his life because he was actually at Donington Park pre-war watching Trackside, the Auto Unions and the Mercedes go head to head. So for him to then be present at the very first Formula One World Championship Grand Prix in 1948 was quite something. He saw Fangio, both hills. Moss, Clark, Fittipaldi, Louder, Hunt, the rise of Williams and McLaren. He loved his bikes, as we know, with Trials, the TT, 500cc into MotoGP. He saw those formative world championship years in motorbikes as well as cars, going through the Ago era. Sheen, at the same time as Hunt was winning in Formula One. What a year 76 was. The arrival of Roberts, Spencer doing the double. Mick Doohan's domination, and then the man who still arguably carries MotoGP from day one to today, Valentino Rossi. On four wheels, he saw the Prost-Senna battle and the height of Mansell Mania, winning at Brands and at Silverstone. Schumacher, Hakkinen, and Lewis Hamilton too today. What a journey that he saw. But he also inspired not just us English speakers, but people from other nations as well. I got messages from Italy and from Spain. You know, when Murray died the other day, he was a huge inspiration. Thank you for tuning in, though. We look forward to GP 2021. Do like and subscribe, and you will get your latest GP podcast straight into your phone, your car, your iPad, or wherever you listen to us. We will be racing soon. Valentin, Simon. Thank you so very much. From myself, Toby Moody Eats, goodbye for now.